Welcome to the Thinking Faith Podcast, a collection of talks and Q&A that address the big questions we're all asking about God, life and purpose. Welcome to the dialogue today on Christian worldview and the NFTs and metaverse. Now we've got a few questions coming through. I guess a lot of times we're portraying a certain identity on online as well. Uh, you know, you could be an avatar of sorts, right, in the metaverse. So how do we navigate these identity questions and also the relational questions, um, physical world and in the metaverse? This question touches on this thing called the virtualization of communication, right, or the virtualization of relationality. The virtualization of communication has been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands, in fact. And I was trying to track it back to when it actually started, and it probably started around the time the first person wrote a letter to someone else. So until then, for X thousand years, humankind was just in face-to-face -face communication. And then someone wrote a letter. And at that point, we made a shift. Uh, we made a shift from direct face-to-face real-time communication to a virtual form of communication. And then that obviously was then augmented and strengthened and taken to other levels by uh, the telegraph, the telephone, fax machines, eventually the internet, email, and now various social media applications and now into the metaverse too. So I don't think this is a, a huge systemic shift. I think it's just another stage along the spectrum of virtualizing communication. And just like with anything else, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. I think we need to be nuanced about it, that it's not all bad and it's not all good. Um, it offers great opportunities to connect and communicate with people that we otherwise would not be able to connect and communicate with. But it also offers the risk of diluting and devaluing relationships that we already have with people that we perhaps don't put the effort in to go and meet them, uh, to hug them, to see their faces, because we just can't be bothered and it's easier to do it uh, virtually or online. And we have those tensions already with Zoom meetings and, and so forth. So for me, the, the answer, at least in principle, is about making sure that the virtualization of communication doesn't become a replacement for embodied physical communication, but it becomes a catalyst and a strengthener for it. That it's like a layer on top. So we take the good and we avoid the bads and mitigate against that. Just a few thoughts. Yeah, and anyway, Paul, I mean, used to write letters, but he also did talk about how he was estranged from people, right? So there was some disembodiment at a point in time. He said, I wish that you were here and things like that as well. Exactly. And so I think that that's an important point of actually, because Paul wrote letters, and in the letters he said to many of them, I long to be with you. He never went to people and said, I long to leave you and write a letter. So there is a hierarchy, at least in the Judeo-Christian tradition, that personal embodied communication is of a particular level of dynamism and authenticity that is ideal, but it's not always possible. And for that, the virtual world is a wonderful asset. Yeah, uh, to, to add to that, I think, it's not always a bad thing, right? It's not always a bad thing that someone wants to live through their avatars and want to be anonymous because when they are anonymous, they are, they are more willing to share their issues. They're more willing to share their struggle. They're more willing to be real and be quote unquote themselves. And uh, I know of a, I, I was attending a conference recently. It's how do you build a metaverse church and all that. And the pastors were saying, the pastor there was saying that he connected with someone from France and um, they could not communicate because of the language barrier. But because of the underlying technology of the metaverse, they're able to communicate and it's a good thing, right? They could communicate and they start having really deep and intimate you know, talks and like vulnerable conversation because there was a boundary 
Um, there is a limitation, absolutely, totally agree, but there's also an opportunity for us to love people who want to remain anonymous and who will never ever show up in a meeting, never ever show up in a Zoom, never ever show up in a, in a church, but will show up and you know in your metaverse gathering as an avatar. That, is, that might be our only opportunity to love them. That might be our only opportunity to connect with them. And that could be a first step towards something that is more real, genuine, and authentic. Thank you. How, how do you think the metaverse you know, would change our concept of how church is done? Well, uh, I'm a traditionalist, so I would rather meet people in person. So when Sherman told me that this is a real life meeting, I'm like, yes, sign me up right now. Right? Because watching something on YouTube, watching something on Zoom cannot be compared with something that is real. Imagine sitting in a place and worshipping alone on your couch. It's very different from, you know, sitting in the church or standing in the church and worshipping with the saints. I think there are some things in Christianity that is just irreplaceable. Face-to-face -face community. We can try with the metaverse, but there is just something about that that it's, it's different. Jesus would reach out and touch the leper. Jesus would reach out and touch people. You know, when he could just use his words, Jesus could just like, you know, send the word and the leper could have been healed from a distance. But he chose to come near and he chose to touch. There's something about touch. There's something about, you know, doing it in, in, in real life. With that said, there is still an unreached people group in the metaverse that we need to step into. But ideally, we would want to eventually meet them in person. Ideally, we would like to meet them and give them a hug, you know, show them the love of Christ through physical touch. And uh, I think it's, 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 it's a difficult thing, but um, I'm still kind of traditional in that sense. Yeah, this, this is the, the multi-million dollar question, right, about whether virtual churches are churches and how do we engage online and all of that? And I, I, I agree in principle with, with everything Broderick shared. I, I would just add that, you know, that, that word ecclesia uh, for church in the, in the Greek is, it does mean to gather together. You can interpret that literally in a physical sense, or you could make an argument, which I don't entirely agree with, that a virtual gathering is still a gathering. Um, but I, I, I think Broderick is right. I think any plain reading of scripture makes it very clear that the physical embodiment of community and relationality is a pretty important part of what the New Testament talks about as church. That doesn't mean it's exhaustive or exclusive in the context of Christian mission, Christian gathering, Christian outreach, and the outpouring of Christian love. I'm totally of the view that the Holy Spirit can work virtually. Um, he can work over Zoom meetings. He can work with online gatherings. But there is something to the fullness of the flourishing of God's community in the way that he has designed it that is most ideally manifested in a physical gathering when you're laying hands on each other when you can see and read the body language of people in the bodies that god created them with not the virtual bodies that we give ourselves in the metaverse in the bodies that we're actually created with um, and even just the physiological psychological spiritual and emotional benefits and importance of things like physical hugs and handshakes that the non-christian data on this is very very clear and non-negotiable so I think provided that digital engagement and online gatherings do not replace or displace physical gatherings, I think the, the degree to which they can, like I've already said, catalyze it, add to it, make it better. And most importantly, I think, and this is key for me as an apologist, Broderick has touched on this, through it, when we can reach people that otherwise wouldn't be able to be reached, that is gold. 
That is amazing. And that we see Paul doing, we see the apostles doing it in the book of Acts. Paul in Acts 17, he goes to Athens, he goes to the Jewish synagogue synagogue to reach the Jews, he goes to the marketplace to reach the, the marketplace folks, and then he goes to the university to reach the academics and the philosophers. And none of them would have come to the other places. He had to go to all three of them. So I think that is very key in how we, how we can reach people that otherwise wouldn't have been reached. What's not gonna be okay is when Christians say, well, I don't need to leave the house anymore to go to church, I can just do everything. That is a displacement and a replacement, not an augmenting. I'm going to just move on to a slightly different uh, part about uh, the, the DAOs, because I think, you know, Roger, you shared a little bit about that. And uh, there are some questions relating to DAOs here. And I suppose uh, you've, you're in that space. Uh, what is some of the, I guess, um, advice you can give to people who are interested in, you know, uh, linking up with these DAOs, as well as are there any um, black sheep that we should look out for among the DAOs? Oh, wow. Um, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that uh, in a decentralized way, meaning that power is distributed to different people, different holders of the token. Autonomous meaning having its own law. So the law is kind of like set in. So even though it is a, a decentralized autonomous organization, um, it's decentralized in the way that it governs, it's still centralized in its vision. So for example, um, let's talk about BeatsDAO, right? B-E-T-S, BeatsDAO. BeatsDAO exists to purchase digital music. To purchase digital music. So that is their centralized vision. If you believe in that, if you want to get into that, sure, go for BeatsDAO, right? Uh, if you want to try, you know, virtual city planning, then get into Decentraland because Decentraland is a city planning DAO. Um, the amount of money that you spend might not like might be a tiny, tiny fraction of votes that you, that you actually have. You could never really make a difference. Um, the centralized vision for Decentraland is to build a great city. So I don't know if there is a black sheep. I, I know that there are many people claiming to be a DAO, claiming to do something. Um, but I think as long as you believe in a centralized vision, for example, Mission DAO, what is our centralized vision? We want to advance the kingdom of God on earth and in the metaverse. That you should come and join us in uh, Mission DAO because that's exactly what we are doing. And the way that we are spending our money will just kind of like align with this vision. And if it does not align with this vision, then, you know, that's what, that's something we're not going to do. So I hope that answered the question a little bit. Yes, that, that, that is helpful, I think. Um, broad. I, just to add to it, I think, just in relating it back to something I said about moral content, um, I think you're, you're spot on. The answer lies in the question of what is the purpose of the DAO, right? And the reason decentralized appeals is because we're going through a, a generation that hates the word submission and hates the word authority, right? So this is an anti-authority, anti-submission culture that we are in. So decentralization, by definition, is a good thing. But when we talk about purpose, purpose is an inherently moral word. So purpose, when, when any DAO decides on what its central purpose is, it's decided that this purpose is good and the diametrically opposed purpose is bad. And so we just have to remember that there's always moral content, even in DAOs, and it's decentralized moral content in this sense, but it's still moral content. It's just disparately distributed amongst everyone that's involved, right? So the, the moral vision and the purpose and the teleological trajectory of the DAO is still determined by people. It's just determined by more in a more democratic sense. The, the power is not concentrated. But a bunch of bad people, you know, in control of the DAO collectively can still do bad things to other people. So there's always moral content. There's always that's 
That's always going to be there. There's always a, a moral layer that underpins everything. And I think DAOs are a, a fantastically innovative way to at least mitigate against human brokenness so you don't give all the power to one or two or three people. But it just kind of, yeah, diverts that or divulges it to a number of people instead of one or two. Yeah, to add to that, uh, you, you spoke about trust just now. Mm. You talk about how, like, you know, with the recent innovation and all that, it actually shows that we do not trust each other. Right. And uh, DAO is what we call a trustless organization, meaning that we don't trust anybody, so we're going to trust everybody. Yeah, you don't, need, you don't need trust. You know, we don't need trust because you could see every vote. And you could see, like, everything is transparent, so there's no way I could lie to you. There's no way I could, like, cozen embezzle money or I could make decision that is only for my profit because everybody can see everything. This is a trustless system. It's a good and a bad thing, right? It's a good and a bad thing. For not everyone, I guess, would have the same kind of background or understanding of, of DAOs and, and the dangers that exist out there. Um, are, are there DAOs, when you talk about purposes, that, that as maybe as parents or, or as Christian leaders that should be aware of, you know, for example, um, the Temple DAO, one of those things which, you know, may may seem sexy to some, to a generation, uh, but then may have its inherent dangers. And the Temple is one of those, but if I could, we could learn a little bit more, what are the dangers out there, it would be helpful, I think. When you buy into a DAO, you buy into their centralized vision. So I think you brought up Temple DAO. So Temple DAO is new age, right? There's new age DAO. They exist to, I have no idea why they exist, to be very honest. Right, maybe they exist to make money. It could be something, right? They could exist to make money, and uh, the method that they're using is they're manifesting and they're you know chanting and they're doing all this new age, quote unquote, satanic, demonic stuff. So as Christian believers, that those are things that we do want to avoid. Um, with NFT projects, there are NFT projects that's outwardly satanic, right? There are NFT projects that is outwardly demonic. So those are things that we do want to look out for as well. Um, yeah, so I think those are, it's this project by project. So kind of looking out for these spaces and being aware that let's not get into something that is demonic. Let's not get into something that is just, you know, they, they exist for a, a purpose that we don't align with. So it goes back to purpose. Yeah. I hope that helps some clarity. Just NFT projects in general, be mindful. Where are they going? What, what is the roadmap? What are they trying to achieve? Are they able to achieve it? Or is this a soft rock? Are they on their way to scam your money? Are they, are they able to deliver what they promise? Does that value align with you? Is the, does, the, does the team make sense? So there are a lot of um, kind of like guidelines and, and um, consideration before you invest. When I say invest, I mean your time and your resources uh, into a project, whether it's a DAO or it's not a DAO. So picking up on that point that you just mentioned about investing, right, in, in this space, I think there are some concerns, I guess, by, by lots of people that it, obviously, you know, the market is quite frothy, right? Um, we see a lot of inflationary prices. Uh, also, there isn't really, a, a, I guess, a fundamental price discovery mechanism, right, uh, that to go by in valuing these NFTs. Um, how should one navigate this space? And... You know, to some extent, I think these could be ethical considerations as well, because some people just go in for that quick um, buck, right? Um, and then the next day, I think the money, I mean, the price just falls. So how, how should we kind of approach this and what are these ethical considerations that we, we should be looking at? Um, so I think 
I think you, you kind of nailed it with the end of the question, um, Evangeline, where I think motivation is the first and most important thing. Uh, and that applies, you know, to anything, to our jobs, to if we're buying and selling stock, to if we're buying very low risk, low yield assets in other spheres of economic activity. If we're doing it from a place of greed and the hard posture is one of greed, then that is a problem for us um, and we need to check ourselves. I think the, the challenge in this space is because it's so volatile, you can make a lot of money very, very quickly. And so greed is, you know, as, as Broderick shared when he was speaking, it's facilitated more, encouraged more. It's, it's, an, it's an environment, it's a psychological, social and economic environment where greed is fostered and kind of nudged along a little bit. So I think that is one thing. The other point I would make, and then Broderick will give you some financial advice, is that um, I, I don't think there is an issue with synthetic value or intrinsic value for these things so the critics often will say oh there's no intrinsic value like there's no intrinsic value behind the asset but if we think philosophically and not economically there's no intrinsic value behind any asset whether it's gold or a microsoft share or a phone the only reason that thing has value in a monetary sense is because of the principles of supply demand and scarcity it's only because people agree that gold is worth something and it's relatively scarce combined that it has this value. If everyone woke up tomorrow and agreed that gold was useless, then it wouldn't matter how much people had. Um, it would be used, it would be valueless. So these NFTs and everything in the digital space are just as synthetic in their value and as speculative in their prices as anything else in the world. The point I'm trying to make is that the world is intrinsically volatile and the world has no intrinsic value. All monetary value in anything on the planet is synthetic and it's imputed in an extrinsic way by other people which is why it's really important that we go back to first principles that go beyond the physical and economic world a human being has intrinsic value why because it has value that is imputed from a transcendent space from a different realm god imputes us with intrinsic value because we are made in his image that's intrinsic value value in the world is extrinsic it's like monopoly in the game of Monopoly, the money is worth something because everyone in the game agrees that it's worth something. So it is with NFTs, so it is with cheeseburgers, so it is with Microsoft and Google shares. It's only because we all agree, we've built systems that agree to this price. So I think that's the first point. We can get past this debate about intrinsic worth and intrinsic value. None of it has intrinsic value, but nothing in the world does. Even cash itself doesn't. It's only because the monetary authority of Singapore says that it has value. It's imputed from within the system. It's extrinsic. So, yeah, just to start on that, and I think, Broderick, you'll speak to the volatility and what to actually do with your money. I think the principle is don't take your kid's college fund. Yes, yes. it all in there, right? Yes, uh, this is financial advice. You know, usually people say it's not financial advice. This is financial advice. Yeah, uh, MAS actually released a guideline recently, and MAS says this. He said, MAS would like to remind our consumer that investment in digital tokens, including NFTs, are not suitable for retail investors, right? And for NFT in particular, their perceived uniqueness combined with speculative demand have served to inflate prices. So what MAS is saying is that the investment of uh, NFT looking for capital returns is not for retail investors. If you require a lot of research, understanding the market, understanding the hustle, understanding the team, understanding a lot of things, hours and hours and hours and hours of research to actually make money in the NFT space. So it's very easy to watch somebody like me or like someone else who posts on Instagram. I have, I have stopped doing that because, you know, it's bad influence, right? 
uh, someone on, on Instagram or posting posting something, oh, I bought this at one Ethereum and now it's 20 Ethereum. And you know this guy, he's 20 years old, no, millionaire. You know, it's so easy to watch all these things, right? And, and say that, oh, that's easy. Trading NFT is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly difficult. And uh, it's not for retail investors. And I'll say leave the investing to the professionals. And uh, if you would like to step into the NFT space, I would say use money that you could lose. Use money that you want to lose. Only invest with money you want to lose. Because you're buying into a culture, you're buying a, it's like you're buying sneakers, that sneakers can go to nothing. You're buying watches, that watch can go to nothing. So it's very, very similar, especially when things are non-fungible. You're buying art that can be of value today and no value tomorrow. Um, because the market size is so small, it's incredibly volatile and uh, not recommended for retail investors. And just to add very quickly to that, as, a, as an economist, there is a difference between intrinsic value and intrinsic utility, where I think the virtual space can potentially be quite high risk. So we know that, you know, in Decentraland and other metaverses now, you can buy land for from $10,000 US all the way up to 2.6 million, I think, that they sold a plot of land uh, at Fantasy Island in, in Decentraland or in Sandbox recently. There's no more intrinsic value in that than there is in my phone or a cheeseburger, like I said, but there is a lack of intrinsic utility. If you buy a house, a real house in the world, and its price crashes, because it actually has no intrinsic value, you can still go live in the house. But if you do that in a virtual world and the price cash crashes, you can't go live in there. You buy food in the virtual world. You know, if you lose everything else, you can't go and eat it, right? So there is intrinsic utility and we need to be practical and remember that this reality is virtual. It's not actual reality. I think that's worth, worth thinking about too. We have uh, very young adults in our midst as well and online. Um, and I think some of them have asked questions regarding, you know, if you are fresh out of school and you do want to kind of start investing in the crypto space, right? Not just NFTs, I guess. Any um, advice you would give to, to them? I would say do a thousand hours of research, like read a lot, watch a lot of videos, watch video at 1.5 times speed, uh, get into as many, as many NFT community as possible um make fake trades in a sense that like you know make a mental trade make a paper trade on your on your paper to say that i, I bought this thing at this price i'm going to sell it at this price and see if your predictions are happen so it is it is like investing in stocks or any other asset class actually a lot of research must be put into it before you step into it and if you step into it expect to lose money right expect to make money expect to lose money um, it is incredibly volatile. I would say research is the most important thing. Spend thousands of hours doing research, reading, 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 and don't stop reading. Don't stop talking to people about it. And um, try it out with money that you want to lose. NFT is super fascinating. If you're not going in to get capital gain, right? If you're going in to get capital gain, it is incredibly difficult. But if you're not going in for capital gain, it is actually incredibly fun. Right, so let's talk about Mission Dao for a while. This is a little bit of a self-shield, right? Uh, what happened with Mission Dao is that we are selling a piece of art and we sell the art, the, the money goes into our mission giving fund and it goes out. So when you buy a Mission Dao NFT art token, you are actually giving. You're not actually buying anything. You're actually giving to the mission organizations that we are partnering with. You're actually giving to the advancement of the kingdom of God in, in the metaverse. But what you get in return is a cool piece of art. 
And that's really exciting. You could, you, you have the right to display it, meaning that you could print it out, put it up on your home, in your home if you really like that art. Uh, with that, you get access into this governance to vote and propose on matters, which can be quite interesting and quite fun for, you know, someone who is just kind of like starting out and trying out with uh, DAOs. Another use case would be for events and ticketing. Recently, Coachella, um, the music festival, decide to sell their tickets as NFT. And it's quite interesting because if you buy the Coachella NFT, you have a ticket to the, for Coachella for the rest of your life. As long as Coachella is around, you could just use the NFT as your entry ticket and it's a VIP ticket. And that's pretty fun. We could do that for conferences. Uh, recently, I did something called Pop-Up. So Pop-Up is a proof of attendance protocol. It's also NFT and it's free. It's free to mint. And I really enjoy this. And I think it's something that um, churches could utilize. Youth ministry and children's ministry could utilize this. Um, when I was growing up in church, you know, we would go to church and we would get a little sticker or a stamp for attending church, right? And we would start collecting these stickers and stamps. And at the end of the year, during the Christmas carnival, we could take our stickers and stamps and we could go and exchange it for a soft toy. We could exchange it for a Bible. We could exchange it for books, board games, or even a Game Boy. Right, so this incentivized me as a child to go to church, right? And it's not the purest motivation, but as a child, I'm looking forward to go to church every Sunday because I get this sticker. Youth ministry could actually use Pop-Ad and you could distribute Pop-Ad. Every time you come for a service, you scan, you get this little icon, this little NFT, and it's the, it's the sermon theme or something, you know? And you could click that and you could watch the sermon again. You could read the sermon notes or you could see the photos that are taken on that day. It serves as a memorabilia. So this pop-up would be pretty cool. I think, you know, if you could do that, it'd be pretty fun. Uh, it's definitely something that I would recommend churches to do. And maybe at the end of the year, you know, they, you could, they could show up, hey, look, I have attended church for the last 52 Sundays. And, you know, I really like this weekend because the pastor was preaching about this and I can go back and listen to that sermon again. So that is a use case and it's incredibly fun. I think there are a lot more that we could explore. Um, yeah, I think those use cases are all fantastic. And so I just wanted to summarize in principle what, you know, what Brody is sharing is that if the posture is about improving the quality of life and serving others rather than improving the level of your bank account, then the use cases and the virtue of it and the, you know, the actual tangible benefits are there. There's this term NETU, non-economic tangible utility. And that's what he's talking about. The quality of building communities online, of creatives getting together and collaborating, of reaching people that otherwise couldn't be reached, of enhancing actual experiences like a Coachella or youth ministry. Um, that all works. But the paradigm has to be about improving the quality of life, not the quality of our bank accounts. Yeah, the technology is actually quite fascinating and it's really, this, the, 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 the possibility is limitless, right? This is what I, I thought about. This is what I think could work. But I'm sure that if you hear more about the use case and you do more research, you could find further utility than what I just mentioned. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure just looking at the possibilities, you could create something that would be incredibly meaningful using the underlying technology. And it could be free. It could be really, really cheap. Just don't use Ethereum. Use something else. It's a dollar, maybe $10 at, at, at worst. There are parents also in the room and online, and I guess the questions that they have had is also how do they guide um, children, right, or youths or their young adults in kind of steering in this NFTs and metaverse space? And what sort of advice would you give to parents 
um, as, um, as and educators as well in the space. Um, just very quickly, in light of time constraints, there's that beautiful verse in you know the very first psalm that talks about being a tree planted by vibrant streams of water. Um, and I think that is the key. We have to root ourselves and our children by a life-giving stream of water. And we know that that is Jesus Christ, for those of us watching who are Christians. If you're not, that's what the Bible calls the, the most vibrant, life-giving stream. And once we are anchored, drawing our nourishment, drawing our sustenance, drawing our identity, drawing our fulfillment, drawing our purpose from our relationship with Christ, then all of the first principles that I've been talking about, all of the real life examples um, that Broderick landed with, they all will just flow naturally. So the key is for parents especially, what matters most is the kind of people your children are and the strength and authenticity of your relationship with them. Not so much what they are doing, what they are doing is secondary. As a parent, I'm always far too preoccupied with what my kids are doing rather than the kind of people that our kids are. We need to focus. This is a season and a generation for character formation where we focus more on our ontology, who we are, rather than what we are doing. What we are doing is a natural outflow of who we are. And I think that's why in Scripture Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit because what he's saying is if we're orange trees, we're not going to grow mangoes. We're not going to do very well at growing mangoes. The only way for that to happen is to have a transformation, a supernatural transformation, which Broderick was touching on, where you are supernaturally transformed into a different kind of tree. And for that tree, growing mangoes is very natural because that's what mango trees do. They don't have to try to do it. So we want to raise the kinds of kids that are the kinds of people that are anchored in Christ, that are planted by the life-giving stream of the water that he gives, and then everything else will flow. So it's a very short and easy answer for a Christian apologist to give. Broderick will give you the technical expertise answer. But invest in your relationship with Jesus and invest in your relationship with your children and make sure they're investing in those same two categories of relationship. Relationship this way, and relationship with those around them. Everything else in the metaverse and all the other verses for that matter will flow naturally in the context of flourishing. I don't think I need to add to that. That is really good. So whatever he said, I'm just going to repeat it. <laughs> You know, but really, I think your relationship with your child, that's the most important thing. Um, and see this as an opportunity. Like what I said, you know, accelerate. Everything is accelerated. Greed suddenly accelerated in my heart. It suddenly revealed. Pride is suddenly revealed. The same thing will happen to your child. You know, and if they're not open to share with you when they're feeling this way, or they feel judged, or they feel condemned, when they share with you that they got scammed and you react in an adverse manner, like, how can you get scammed? Why can't you be more careful? The moment we do this, we actually scare our kids away because they feel like, oh man, I sh I, I'm ashamed now. I shouldn't tell my parent that I got scammed. You know, I shouldn't tell my parent that I'm feeling these things because I know how my parents will react and you will react badly. So parents, be patient, be kind, um, be gentle and be patient, I think, uh, and allow your kids to surface this thing, uh, rehaul your, your reaction to them because it's very easy to, when they tell you, I, lo I just lost one Ethereum, it's $4,000 thing. I just lost one Ethereum. It's very easy to go, what? You just lost $4,000? Rather like, okay, tell me more, you get scammed, you know, and process it with them and don't be, don't, don't react too quickly. Um, I hope that helps. I'm not a parent. I'm a youth guy. Uh, that's what I do with the young person, with the young people. Yeah.
Thanks. I think that was very helpful and extremely informative as well for, I think, the audience here and online. Um, we'd really like to thank Broderick and Max for such a wonderful, uh, for such wonderful perspectives. I think, if anything at all, we, we do know that Christians are needed more than ever in the metaverse. Uh, we cannot dissociate from the metaverse, even though it's a virtual uh, reality. Um, but if anything at all, I do think that, you know, there can also be human flourishing uh, within, within the metaverse for the gospel of the kingdom. And the metaverse really actually, if you think about it, ultimately points beyond itself to the transcendent king, right? Whose words actually made non-virtual reality a reality.